Hello and welcome back to I'll Have One of Everything. I'm Danielle Murr and this is episode two, Much Excite. I surveyed you on Instagram to see what you wanted me to talk about in the next episode and I'm getting a lot of stuff about mental health and I love that the conversation surrounding mental health has gotten more open, especially I'd say over the last, I don't know, two to four years or so. The problem is, as much as we're discussing it and as much as we're normalizing it, there's still a huge stigma about mental health issues. No matter how you want to look at it, it's still pretty taboo to talk about. Like, we could scream it from the rooftops and be like, yes, let's have a discussion. Post something on Instagram. I am here for it. And the second you step outside your house and you're like, hey, I'm having a major depressive episode over here. People are like, ooh, don't want to be talking to that person. They're crazy. She's nuts. Have you noticed that? Like if you've tried to talk to anybody, never mind the trolls and the people on the internet that are just horrible people and bullying you for the sake of their own crappy lives. Even with friends sometimes, you're you're really reluctant to share certain things with friends or family because you don't want to be judged. And I've been in that position many, many times throughout my life. So one of my biggest goals is to help you guys feel less weird and less alone with all the crap you're dealing with, especially after the last year. I surveyed you. You answered, you wanted to talk about mental health here, and the biggest thing people asked about was my mention of my ADHD diagnosis in the first episode. And because of that stigma, this is something that I didn't even want to tell people after I was diagnosed. Like, it, it completely opened up the skies and the clouds for me, and I was like, oh, the angels sung, everything in my life over the last 40-some-odd years became clear, and I'm like, oh, my God, it all makes sense now. But... I'm like, do I want to tell people this? But why? It's what's the big deal? And I had this whole internal conversation with myself. But I think that it it is something important to talk about because from what I've heard from many of you, you've either struggled with it or suspect that you may have it and never have been diagnosed. So I want to tell you about what my path was to getting the diagnosis and how I've learned to manage things. I was diagnosed with severe ADHD combined presentation in October of 2019. I always suspected that I had it based on things in my life, like I could never finish projects, and I was really disorganized, and I would forget things, and I would constantly lose things, and I had a really hard time focusing on boring work, but I just thought that, eh, I'm lazy, I'm unmotivated, I'm, you know, I'm disorganized. I just, I had that thought about myself, and people around me kind of put that into me, so I was like, all right, this is me, I'm just a lazy, disorganized person with no motivation. Hmm, that must be it. Then a buddy of mine with whom I connected in 2019 uh, has suffered from ADHD for a very long time. In fact, he has the words pay attention tattooed on his right thumb to kind of keep him focused. So the more I heard from him about what he had gone through, the more things started to resonate with me. And I was like, oh, this all really hits. And then I started to hit the Google machine and do some research and learned more. And I was like, wow, this really sounds like something I've been suffering from. So I reached out to my primary care physician and she, God bless her, because she knows that I'm one of those people that always self-diagnoses. I'm kind of like a Oscar on the office with WebMD, but I'm usually right. I'm I'm at least very self-aware of my body and my brain. So I'm cognizant of when certain things are going on with me. And I've been very proactive to try to get help when I've been dealing with an issue, whether physical or mental. So I had asked my doctor for a referral to a therapist or a practice that would do an analysis to come to a diagnosis or not. 
because I didn't know for sure at the time that I had it. And she referred me to someone and I went in and I went through um, two sessions with the therapist there. And we talked about all kinds of parts of my life. He asked me tons of questions. And at the end, he put his pen down on the clipboard and just looked at me and said, it's amazing how far you have come in your life and how successful you've been in your career with how much you've dealt with when it comes to this, because you most certainly do have ADHD. And I broke down in tears because it finally gave me some answers to feeling inadequate about myself and my abilities. So I wanted to give a little breakdown first of what ADHD is, because I think some people might be confused or you might have these old notions about it. And then I'll give you a little bit more perspective on how it affected me directly. One thing that's important to note and You may or may not know this already, but I'm going to fill you in on it. I'm not a doctor or a licensed medical professional. I know. I know. I get smart, so it might seem like I am. But I am only trying to educate you about a subject. So always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you might have regarding medical or mental health conditions. So there are three types of ADHD. You've got ADHD inattentive distractible, which doesn't have hyperactivity involved. You've got ADHD impulsive hyperactive, which doesn't have inattention involved. And you have ADHD combined presentation, which is both, and that's what I have. Now, back in the 80s, ADHD was referred to as ADD, attention deficit disorder, and was categorized as either having or not having the hyperactivity portion. And then in 1987, the DSM-3, the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders published by the American Psychiatric Association. There have been many volumes of that over the years as things have updated. They changed the name to Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And then in 1994, they updated the name to put a slash in the middle between attention deficit and hyperactivity to show that you could either have one, the other, or both. The CDC estimates that 11% of children and 4.4% of adults have ADHD. And you may have heard of dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter. You can imagine they're like kind of little chemical versions of DoorDash. They communicate signals between neurons in your central nervous system, so your brain and your spinal cord, and target cells, which are found in muscles or glands or other neurons. So you can argue that there's a connection between dopamine and tasks, and let me explain it. When you complete a task or you do something that causes you to have pleasure, it activates the reward center in your brain because your brain has released dopamine and you feel good. So what happens? You want to keep doing that task over and over again. And this plays into addiction, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So when you keep getting that dopamine hit, you want to keep doing that thing, whether it's good or bad, no matter what it is. There is some science that suggests people with ADHD have lower levels of dopamine for various reasons that I won't get into because it's super sciencey and I'm afraid I'm going to explain it incorrectly and someone's going to come at me and be like, "Um, you're a moron. But basically when you're faced with a task that you don't want to do and you're not getting the reward for it, (laughs) I don't want to do this anymore, so I'm not going to do whatever this boring thing is, whether it's schoolwork or my taxes or cleaning the house or any of that stuff. Now, the reason why ADHD is treated with stimulant medications like Adderall is because that increases the dopamine levels in your brain, thus helping you stay on board with those tasks you don't want to do. It also can cause an issue because if you're on a drug like Adderall for a long period of time, your brain can produce less and less dopamine, which essentially means you become dependent on the Adderall, which is not fun. And from the addiction angle... Many drugs cause a dopamine spike, which makes you feel really good. 
like cocaine, things like that. So people continue to seek out that reward that they get from taking the drug. The same thing happens with sex or gambling. The dopamine itself doesn't cause the pleasure, but there are some differing opinions among scientists about how it influences the brain as the pleasure is experienced. And I think of dopamine as kind of like a little angel or devil on your shoulder, just influencing you to do that good or bad thing. Doesn't matter what it is, but it's kind of like, hey, keep doing that thing because it makes you feel good. (laughs) Let's go over some of the symptoms of ADHD. And just because you have some of these doesn't necessarily mean you have ADHD. I'm not trying to be like, hey, look, you do that. You must have this. But if a lot of these things resonate with you, you might want to go online and take one of the many self-assessment quizzes or use one of the tools that they have on many websites to check and see if you might be someone that could possibly have ADHD and would it be worth contacting your physician about it to maybe explore it a little bit more, especially if you feel like it's really, really affecting your life in a negative way. You might have issues with time management. I mean, who doesn't, right? But these go beyond just the basic elements of time management. Like you just cannot get it together. You have a lack of ability to follow through. If you have unfinished projects all over the place, just if you've never been able to finish anything that you started, disorganization and forgetfulness. If you lose things constantly, if you misplaced your keys, if you forget your laptop, if you walk out the door without your lunch or your coat, if you are missing important details when it comes to projects, if you miss appointments because you don't write them down, interrupting people or jumping in to answer a question before the person has finished asking it. Hi, (laughs) I do that a lot. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. If you become tired or fall asleep when doing a boring task. If you avoid tasks that require sustained mental effort like schoolwork or filling out long forms, or if you just generally have a lack of focus. Those are all things that play into an ADHD diagnosis. And when you speak with a therapist about it, they'll ask you more in-depth questions about your history and specifics on what would you do if you were in this scenario. If this happened to you, how would you react? And they're the professionals, so they know how to read all those answers. Now, when it comes to how it affected me over the years, it all started during grade school for me. I was always told that I was lazy and messy. And like I said in the beginning of the podcast, I just figured I was a disorganized, not motivated person, which made me feel depressed because I was like, oh. Why can't I get out of my own way? What the hell? What's going on here? It was really, really frustrating. This all started for me in grade school. So in first through fourth grade, I had pretty much all A's and everything, I think. I did really well. I was a great student. I never had trouble grasping the material. I'm an intelligent person. And I don't say that to be like douchey, like, hey, check me out. I'm wicked smart. I'm just framing this for you in that... For the most part, even complicated ideas when it came to chemistry or math or language, any of that stuff, I was able to understand it pretty easily. So the issue for me was doing schoolwork that I didn't like. When I got to fifth grade, that's when I got my first C, and it was in Mr. Satino's social studies class. I hate social studies. Anything to do with that, civics, history, government, politics, Any of that stuff, I always did poorly with. And it started in fifth grade and it went downhill from there. It could never hold my attention. I absolutely hated it. And, you know, you figure like history class, for the most part, that's memorization, right? You're just remembering events and dates and and things that surrounded that. It's not like a ton of analysis. Like you're not doing calculus derivatives, right? And having to work through a complex problem. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I just, I could not get my brain to wrap itself around these facts because I just had such a distaste for it. When I got to high school, I found that when I would study things that I didn't like, like history and English, 
granted, I love English now because you might know I'm a bit of a grammar snob, but (laughs) I would get so tired when I would study boring things. And I'm an insomniac. I have had chronic sleep problems most of my life. So for me to be studying at 3.30 in the afternoon and the second I open up a history textbook, I wanted to fall asleep into it. Always was a little weird to me, but I was just like, eh, one of those things. When my mom started to get wind that I was having trouble getting my schoolwork completed, she buckled down immediately. And God God bless my mother because, oh, did she try? Did she try? She dragged me to the library every day after school for like two to three hours. And she would sit and read magazines while I, quote unquote, did my homework downstairs. And I would just sit at a desk and position myself where I would see when she was coming down the stairs and flip from whatever nonsense thing I was reading or magazine that I was looking at and go back to my homework. I never actually got my homework done. I didn't do it. I struggled with it and I didn't turn things in. I left papers and projects until the absolute last minute. I did okay. I pulled them off most times, but every time I would do it, I would look back and say, hey, if I had just started this two weeks earlier, I could have gotten an A and really knocked this out of the park. And I just never did it. College, (laughs) forget about it. Uh, My first year of school was in New York and I was, of course, away from home. So there was no one there to supervise me. First semester, I went to class for a few weeks, and then I discovered a social life, which I never had in high school because I was a complete nerd, and it was just a whole different lifestyle. So I just didn't study and didn't go to class because I didn't have the discipline for it. And second semester was even worse. I went to the first day of classes and then basically didn't go for the rest of the semester and then showed up for the final thinking that, oh, I'm going to cram and get an A on the final and somehow pass this class. And I didn't know that you could drop classes. And mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry that I wasted all that money and I will never not feel guilty about that. I love you and thank you. So I failed out of college my first year and I appealed and the school was willing to take me back. But my mother was like, yeah, that's not happening. And, you know, she spent a lot of money to send me to school that year, money that she probably didn't have. She was a single mom. She worked her ass off to give me everything I've had my whole life and has always been setting me up for success incredibly. And I duffed it. And it was awful because I felt horrible that I had wasted all my mother's hard-earned money for a year of school that was essentially useless. And I was brokenhearted because if you remember in the first episode of the podcast, I wanted to go to that school for TV. And now I couldn't go back. So it was on me. And I didn't have the skills to cope with the issues that I was facing with distraction and not being able to focus. So it made me just depressed and I felt like a huge failure. When I came back, I went to a two-year college near my home to kind of flesh that out while I worked. I was a business major there. And then I transferred to Salem State to finish out my degree. I changed my major six different times. Six times. Talk about not being able to keep focus. I didn't graduate until 2011. And by that point, I was already working in radio. So I was doing that just so I could complete my degree. Beyond that, as far as my adult life goes, a few of the things I touched upon earlier that I want to highlight is projects. I'm chronically unable to finish projects. It's terrible. I start so many things. I always joked with myself before my diagnosis that I had like cleaning ADD. So I would go to my bathroom and say, all right, we're going to organize the drawers in the bathroom today. And I would open a drawer and pull everything out of the top drawer and sort through it, get rid of old stuff, and then put a little neat pile of things that were going to go back into the drawer. But I'd find one thing that was out of place or one thing that I would think, hmm, I should move this to a different drawer and we'll set up this whole other thing. And I couldn't finish any of it. No matter how hard I tried, my brain would shut down. 
I, I just couldn't function. And it was so frustrating because I'm like, dude, you're a smart person. Like, just why can't you just organize your bathroom? Just go in, put the stuff where it belongs and walk out. What's the big deal? People do it every day. You just feel like you're defective. When it comes to interacting with people, I can be talking to you and completely tune out in the middle of a conversation even while I'm looking right at you. And it's not because I'm not interested in what you're saying or because I don't care about you. Again, my brain shuts off. It goes back to the lack of focus thing. I could, I could be listening intently, hearing your words, and then the other person could get distracted and come back and say, okay, where was I? And I'm like, <laughs> um, oh my God, I can't remember anything they just said in the last five minutes. And that's so embarrassing and it sucks because people think that you're just not engaged in the conversation. For me to focus on one thing for a long time is so difficult that I need that, you know, here's something shiny, look at this. I have a lot of nervous energy, so when I'm sitting, I'll, I'll bounce my legs or I'll tap my fingers. Any kind of thing to get nervous energy out, I do that. I'm not a pen clicker because that makes me want to do terrible things to people when they... Like, how do you not know you're doing that in the middle of the meeting? Just the whole time. 16 people are looking at you and you're just like, huh? Just clicking my pen. I'm clicking my pen. Do you like it? That was a little ASMR right there for you. Oh, and writing things down. If I don't write it down... Good luck. Good luck. I will, people will say, hey, May 4th, we had this thing coming up. Can you be there? Um, that date sounds really familiar though. There's nothing in my calendar, but I know I have something going on that day. I have no idea what it is, but I know I have something going on that day. So then I have to go back through all my emails and my text messages and be like, what the hell's on May 4th? What's on May 4th? And then May 3rd, I'll get a text from someone being like, hey, are we still on for that six week road trip tomorrow? And I'm like, oh, F. Uh, I got to reschedule. I'm really sorry. So how do I cope with this? How can you cope with this? This is still a fairly recent diagnosis for me. So I'm still trying a lot of different things. Now I use timers to challenge myself to stick to a task. If you're not familiar with the Pomodoro method, you might want to look that up. Uh, there's a whole book written about it. A guy that came up with this idea. He had this tomato shaped timer and he would set it for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes when he had to do a specific task and just focus and do as much as he could during that time and then give himself a break. So the Pomodoro, that's the Italian word for tomato, came from the timer. Check it out. It's actually a pretty interesting concept. I make a lot of lists. I try to keep them in my phone because if I write them down on paper, I'm going to lose them. There's no way in hell they're sticking around. So I try to make lists of things that I need to do or note things in my notes app on my iPhone so that I can go back to it and be like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I have to do that. I have to do this and then delete it once it's done. I try to put things back in the same place all the time, like the place where the thing belongs, no matter what. I'm getting better at that. The problem is I usually can't find them because the place the thing is supposed to be is the last place that I look. I'm one of those people that even if I'm in a chaotic mess, I know where everything is. I know the left shoe is next to the bed and the right shoe is in the bathroom because that's where I kicked them off last night when I was on my way to the bedroom because I was exhausted. I didn't put them in the closet. If I put the shoes in the closet, I'm not looking for the shoes in the closet. I know that there are so many of you right now that are like, oh God, I do that. You, re you relate. I know. I can tell. When it comes to appointments or things I need to do, I have to put it in my calendar immediately or set a reminder on my phone because, again, I'm not going to remember it. And that's just not with appointments and social engagements. It's also with things like, hey, you signed up for that three-month free trial subscription for that newspaper because you needed to do research on a story for the radio show and then you forgot to cancel it and before you know it, you've been billed for six years for $3.99 a month and you're like, where's all this money going? The Telegraph of London. When did I ever subscribe to? Oh, God, 2018. I should cancel that. 
And I'm looking to work with a therapist that specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy. And if you've never heard of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, it's got a lot to do with what I mentioned in the first podcast episode with when it comes to programming that we learn early on. You know, we rely so heavily on these assumptions about ourselves and how things work or how we're under the impression that they're supposed to work, that we get stuck in these negative behavioral patterns and can't break out of them because we just think this is the way it is or this is the way it's supposed to be. So I hope this was helpful to you guys. A little bit of vulnerability because so often people just don't understand what you're going through. You know, there's that saying and that meme that goes around like, be kind, you never know what someone else is struggling with. And that really is so true. You know, unfortunately we have this climate now where we're exposed to everything, whether it's the, you have to have self-care, it's okay to be sensitive. And then the other people that are like, suck it up, deal with it. Oh, whatever. Stop being a snowflake. It's really hard to find a happy medium with all that. Take care of yourself. You're the most important thing because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of the people around you. Thank you again for listening. We should be available at this point on most, if not all of the major podcast listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Please subscribe. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a review for me on Apple Podcasts. I would super, super, super appreciate that. For episode three, I will probably pivot to something a little bit more fun and lighthearted. I'm so grateful for everyone who has come along on this portion of my journey with me. And I certainly do miss talking to you guys in the mornings, but I'll tell you, it's been nice to sleep until 7.30 on a Monday. Ooh, doggy. Have an awesome day. I love you all. Take care of yourselves. Drink some water. <laughs>